It is great to be back on Search the Scriptures today. What a blessing to be able to be with all of our listeners on a regular basis from day to day, open up God's Word, and learn from all of the teachings that He has communicated to us therein. And such rich teachings, not just a just some matter-of-fact things, but things that can change our lives for the better if we'll pay attention and apply them in the right ways. We do pray that as you listen to Search the Scriptures on a day-to-day basis, that your life is becoming stronger spiritually because you realize that you're actually learning the Bible. And we pray that that will always be the case. It's good for me to be able to be with you today along with Dennis Stackhouse. Thank you, Gary. It's certainly a blessing for me to be on the program with you today as well. And I'd like to welcome all those who are listening to us as always. And, you know, you're right, as you're talking about how we need to make a personal application of those things God has communicated to us through His Word. That's really the bottom line when we look at the Bible and how we should, as individuals, be applying it in our own lives. You know, it's not a situation where we read something or hear something and think, well, you know, that would sure be good for Johnny or Susie over there. They should really hear this. They should read this passage. Well, no, the idea is that each one of us as individuals need to take God's word into our lives and make personal applications so that we as individuals can become more like Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, and even in all that we think. You know, Dennis, that's a, that's a common characteristic of so many people. They'll hear something or they'll see something. They'll get a lesson out of that mm-hmm. for somebody else. Exactly. Without making the connection that they need that lesson themselves for yes. their own lives. That's right. You know, the old story goes about the, the preacher who would come. He preached, you know, uh, out in the country, mm-hmm. and uh, he would come to services every every Sunday morning and uh, he'd preach and there'd be one fellow who'd sit by the, the window and he'd listen intently and after the sermon he'd invariably tell the preacher, boy, you really let him have it today. <laughs> and then the story goes that one Sunday morning, preacher got up and he got to the church building after it had snowed all night long, heavy snow, about a foot or so, and again, being out in the country, the plows hadn't run out there yet, and, and so got out there. The only person that showed up that morning, the only one that made it to the building besides the preacher was this same fella. Mm-hmm. And so the preacher quickly calculated in his mind, what am I going to do? Maybe just we should just turn out services early. And then he thought, nope, I'm going to preach to this one fella. He's always telling me. I let them. I let them have it. I really mm-hmm. gave it to them today. There's no way that he can miss the point today. So he just preached the full sermon to him to that one fellow. And afterwards, the fellow shook his hand and said, "Preacher, if they'd have been here today, you'd have really let them have it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He still missed the point, you know. Yes. And of course, that's just probably just a preacher's story, but uh, mm-hmm. been going around for a long time. But that's the point that, that mm-hmm. you were emphasizing. Yes. Each of us needs to open up God's Word mm-hmm. and learn those truths and apply them to our lives. Right. When we do that properly, then perhaps we'll have the opportunity to help other people see that same lesson and how it needs to be applied to their lives. 
Yeah, that's right, Gary, because that's how God's word is going to be effective. It's going to be through one life at a time. One individual who takes those teachings and those principles into his or her life, and they make a visible, noticeable change in their life, and they start affecting others for the better. And, you know, that's exactly the principle that Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 7 when he talked about the uh, person who was always trying to get the speck out of his brother's eye. Yes. When he was carrying, and the sense of the language is literally like a log in mm-hmm. his own eye. Yes. And he, you know, he had real problems in his life, but he was looking past those and mm-hmm. trying to correct other people's lives who might have had some more minor problems in their lives. Yes. And Jesus told, you know, told him or, or gave the lesson, first, get the moat out of your own, your own eye mm-hmm. so that you can see clearly to help mm-hmm. get the speck out of your brother's eye. And of course, that's in Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six. Yes. So very biblically based principle. Oh, yes. Now, Dennis, we asked a question over our last few days what if you had only 24 hours to live? What if right. you knew you had only 24 hours to live? Mm-hmm. And you were not ready. You were not a Christian. You had never come to Christ properly. What would you do? Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we were able to communicate that thought and that scenario effectively for mm-hmm. our listeners. Yes, We want to continue on and continue to ask that question from a little different perspective today. Death, again, gets our attention like almost nothing else. It really does. There's a starkness about death. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can overlook a lot of things. We can kind of look past them. We can brush them aside. But boy, death really gets our attention. It does. It's that final blow that really for all of us is going to come unless Jesus returns before that happens. Yes. So somebody in our life, a family member, a friend, a work associate, almost invariably for just about every one of us, we're struck unexpectedly with somebody we know, maybe somebody very close to us dying. Yes. And now death's really got our attention. Yes, it does. Even more so if all of a sudden we're facing the prospect of death. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so we painted that scenario in our last section of study, talking about you're feeling bad, you don't know what's wrong, your doctor hasn't been able to figure out what's wrong, been treating symptoms, he sends you to a specialist, you have some tests run, and just about two days later or so, the nurse calls you and, and she says, I'm really sorry, I have some bad news. Mm -hmm. And then I have some really bad news. And again, you're clutching that phone. All of a sudden, the grip on the phone tightens. It's almost a death grip now because you're suddenly very nervous. All the blood drains out of your face because you don't like to hear that kind of statement from the nurse in reference to your tests. And so in just kind of a half voice because you're not able to speak real well right now because of your concern, you you say, well, what's the bad news? And she reads off the doctor's 
summary that you have XYZ disease and that it's always fatal, there's no cure, and in your advanced state of that disease, that illness, he believes you only have 48 hours to live. Mm -hmm. And now your breath is completely gone. And uh, after a long pause, you realize she said there's worse news. Mm -hmm. And so you ask her, well, if that's the bad news, what could be the really bad news? And she says, well, I'm sorry, I was supposed to call you yesterday. Uh-huh. And so now you're faced with 24 hours to live. Right. And so there's our particular scenario set. You know, as we pointed out in our last section of study, Dennis, all of us reach that point, don't we? We really do, Gary. It's just that for most of us, we don't realize when we reach that point. Every one of us is going to die unless mm-hmm. the Lord comes again first. Right. And so because of that fact, every one of us is going to get to a point where we've only got a day left. That's right. But as you said, very few of us know when that last day comes. Yes. But what would you do if you did know? What would you do if you knew you had only 24 hours to live. Well, we suggested some things, didn't we? We did. Some things that you would not do. Mm -hmm. You would not go to work that day. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. No, (laughs) you're not gonna use up a third or more of your day on the job. You're gonna say, I'm not going to have this job tomorrow. No need for me to go today. <laughs> right. There's some other things I need to be taking care of. Mm-hmm. You would not be thinking about washing your car or cutting the grass either. No, I don't think that'd be high on the priority list. Trivial matters mm-hmm. in view of the situation. You would not be planning to go fishing or hunting or to a ball game. No. If you had only 24 hours to live. And you'd not be worried about getting the laundry done or the ironing caught up either. Mm -hmm. You would not be going to the barber to get a haircut or to the beauty shop to get your hair done either. Now, what if you had only 24 hours to live and you knew it and you realized you were not a faithful Christian? Mm -hmm. That puts a different spin on the question entirely. It sure does. In our last section of study, we asked the question, what if you knew you had only 24 hours to live and you knew you were not a Christian? Yes. You knew you were not ready to meet your Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, let's ask it a little differently. Let's say you become a Christian. Right. Initially, but you've gone back into unfaithfulness, whatever you want to call it, backsliding, going back into error, becoming unfaithful, whatever term effectively communicates that situation to you. So you're an unfaithful Christian. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you're not ready for the judgment. Right. What would you do if you knew you had only one day to live? Well, you would not be making up excuses for not being at church services tomorrow. Mm, That's right. Either. Now, you've probably been doing that for a long time. Yes. Because unfaithful Christians typically do that. Mm -hmm. They either just blatantly say, I'm not going. 
I'm not going there. Or they start looking for all kinds of excuses as to why they won't go. Right. Too tired, got to cut the grass, you know, got to wash the car, got to spend some time with the family, got to go to the zoo, mm-hmm. want to read the paper. Mm-hmm. We can come up with all kinds of excuses, can't we? Oh, we certainly can. In fact, there are a lot of people who are virtually professional excuse makers. <laughs> yes. Know, really good at it. Uh-huh. But if you knew you had only 24 hours to live, you would not be looking for excuses right. to not be at church services. Because now, all of a sudden, because of the stark reality that you're going to die now less than 24 hours from now, nothing would be so important as to make you too busy to be at church services. Mm-hmm. In fact, you'd probably want to be able to be there. Mm-hmm. You'd wish that there'd be a service that you could get to because all of a sudden you'd realize, I've got to pay attention here. I've got to get my spiritual life in order. I've got to get right with God. Yes. And you know, Dennis, you would not be using as an excuse to stay away from the church to not be faithful, you would not be using all of those hypocrites in the church as an excuse. No, and again, I think that's a pretty common excuse that people have used or that I've heard over the years, Gary. Oh, that that group, they're just full of hypocrites. Well, yes, nothing but an excuse. I've asked the question many times, if you let a hypocrite become betw- uh, come between you and God, mm-hmm. if you let a hypocrite come between you and God, who's closer to God? You or the hypocrite? That's right. You know, is the church full of hypocrites? There are some there. Sure. There are some with all kinds of horrible backgrounds in their lives. Right. Because we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. And we all need forgiveness. Yes. And ultimately, that forgiveness is, is connected to our Lord and, his, and the church is his body. That's right. And so those who come to salvation in Christ, he adds to the church himself. Mm-hmm. Acts 2 and verse 47. Right. Are there some people in church who do not act as Christians ought to act? No question about it. That's right. But again, does that give you an excuse for not doing what you should be doing, mm-hmm. for not being faithful yourself? Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier when the program began, Gary. Each one of us as individuals need to make sure that we are making the proper application of God's word in our own lives. Exactly right. And if all of a sudden, you came to understand that you had only one day left to live, you'd not be making any excuses. I really don't think so. All of a sudden, you'd be doing a lot of praying. Mm -hmm. And let me suggest it would be some really heavy, serious, diligent praying for forgiveness Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Yes. And you'd probably be desperately trying to get a hold of somebody who could help you 
along that line who could give you some direction and some assurance that, yes, you can be forgiven mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. and you can be made right with God again mm-hmm. right. by his grace. Again, you'd probably be looking for the preacher's phone number. Exactly. Because you'd want to talk with somebody. You'd want to get with somebody because you're running out of time all of a sudden. You realize it and you'd finally want to quit all those excuses and just get your life right with God. Yes. Again. And you would definitely not want to meet your Lord right now in the spiritual condition into which you have allowed yourself to slip. That's correct. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, what does the Apostle Paul say there about that final day of judgment? And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, the day of judgment is often referred to as a day of reckoning, isn't it, Dennis? Yes, it certainly is. It's difficult to read that particular text without coming to understand it in exactly that way. Absolutely. You know, when it talks about our Lord, Jesus Christ, coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, so ignorance is no excuse, but now you've got less than 24 hours to live. You have become a Christian. Mm -hmm. Certainly ignorance is not an excuse for you. Right. You know what it is to be faithful. Mm -hmm. You just chose to be unfaithful. Now, it also says on those who have not obeyed the gospel. Right. But once again, you have obeyed the gospel, but you have slipped back into a lifestyle of disobedience. Mm -hmm. And so now facing what it says there, everlasting destruction, cut off from the presence of God Mm -hmm. and the glory of his power. Right. Frightening thought. It really is absolutely cut off from God Mm -hmm. for eternity. Yes, no hope of ever changing it. And that's the prospect facing you as a Christian who has gone back into unfaithfulness and therefore sin. Yes. Horrible prospect. It really is. Why would any Christian allow themselves to slip back into that condition. It's hard to pinpoint that, Gary. You know, we, we ask that question often. I think uh, for those of us who've preached, uh, I know you longer than I have, certainly, but even during the time that I was involved in that, those questions came up. People that I knew who had become Christians and then had just lost it. Uh, For whatever the reason was, they just allowed themselves to fall back into the world to once again embrace a lifestyle of sin. And And in in many cases, it was was to do that, wasn't it? 
Yes. Just to go back into some sin. Yes, yes, it was. And it's it's so sad, it's so unfortunate. You know, you, you reach out to people, you try to help them understand what they're doing, and for many of them, it just has no impact. Really is sad. Tragic. Yes. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus describes those two roads to eternity. Yes. How does he describe those? He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So it's either eternal life or eternal destruction again. Correct. Those are the only two possibilities or ends of the road, so to speak. Yes. And then in Revelation 21 and verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8, we read this. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death, eternal death, eternal condemnation. Hell in its ultimate form. And that's the bottom line description, hell. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what's facing that person who became a Christian and then turned away from their Lord and back into sin. That's right. We'll pick up at this point next time.